0: Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. We're all familiar with the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. This Rebel with a Purpose Thomas Bjorkman believes leaders need to first accomplish the internal development goals if we have any hope in achieving the former. As founder of the Eskeret Foundation, KG Co Living, Perspectiva Institute, and 29k.org, Thomas has taken his skills in finance, applied philosophy, and social entrepreneurship and created spaces where people can literally live, work, and breathe innovation. Thomas Bjorkman a rebel with a purpose across so many different fronts applied philosopher social entrepreneur author where does it end it is so great to see you and thank you so much for joining us thank you Kate it's a pleasure to be here i want to dive into all those different fascinating attributes of you but before i do i always like to find out you know how do people get to where they are what was What was their journey to, and their path to where they are now somewhat, dare I say, anchored, where they find
1: themselves? Would you share that with everybody? Of course. uh, A short version would would be that uh, (laughs) I grew up in the 60s in a um, middle-sized town in Sweden in a middle-class family, come from a relatively modest background was the first uh, one in my family to, both on my father's side and my mother's side, to be able to go to university. Uh, I had a talent for mathematics and physics, so that's what I studied at university and thought that I might become a professional academic. But um, my life journey uh, took me away from the academic world and into the business world. And I... Been a serial entrepreneur. Started about 20 different ventures. Some small and unsuccessful but at least three major uh, ventures in IT and property and in banking. Sold my banking business in 2006 and had the opportunity to think for a while what to do with the second half of my life as I was about to turn 50 back then. And I decided that I really wanted to dive deeper into the connection between our inner personal growth and development and societal change. and That led me to start uh, my own foundation in Stockholm, the Oak Island Foundation, Eekskjæret Foundation, where we have our own island outside Stockholm with a retreat center, where we do everything from youth camps in the summer to personal development retreats and invitational conferences. And then also, as you mentioned, I've written uh, three books, uh, all in this area between personal, inner development, and societal change. Yeah, and I should also say that on uh, on top of that I've started a few different organizations and ventures. And if I should just mention two or three of them. So uh, a conscious co-living space in Stockholm called K9, conscious co-working in Stockholm and in Berlin, the co-creation loft and Perspectiva Institute in London, and the 29K digital platform for personal development and and growth.
0: So, sorry for jumping in because I'm just so fascinated with that broad array because you are such a systems thinker from day one before it kind of became a thing. And the beauty of your work is you've created this amazing ecosystem You were an early mover, really, in that whole notion of for true leaders and true long-term flourishing. There's no denying and no getting away from going inside. Can you share a little bit about the
1: IDGs? Yes. The IDGs are uh, the inner development goals that uh, you need to focus on in order to be able to engage with the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. So that is really putting an emphasis again on the inner world. But before I go into the details of this project of the IDGs, perhaps I should mention coming from mathematics and physics and then being mostly in banking and and real estate. How did I start to think about the importance of the inner world? And that connects quite well with the IDGs because the IDGs is really an initiative from the business community in uh, Scandinavia foremost and that is that through my years as an entrepreneur and as chairman of a banking group in Scandinavia, I came to work with very talented leadership development consultants who showed me the importance of this inner quality that you could call inner maturity and how that is a very important quality in a leader, in any leader, both to be able to handle the cognitive complexity of our world today, our business world today, uh, but also to be able to deepen your ability to uh, handle the emotional complexity of our world. And I was surprised to see how these leadership developments could work with both myself and with my leadership team. And to really facilitate this uh, inner development and growth. And I could also see how important that was for our leadership team and, and for the bank. And then I started to think, well, if we in business, at least in some part of business, are aware of the importance of inner growth and development, and we even spend a lot of money trying to facilitate that in our, our leaders, how come that we are not at all talking about that in society? So, so that was sort of my starting point, and I started to read a lot, and this got me interested in psychology and adult developmental psychology, and to see what what is really this important inner development all about. And you mentioned systems thinking, so you can approach this inner development, of course, from many different ways. You can approach it from from a leadership perspective. You can approach it from a uh, spiritual perspective. But for me as a physicist, what really made me understand that this was sort of for real and not just some new age thing uh, was the fact that when you start to realize that our mind is not just some rational machine that is fully developed when, when we turn 20 or something, but you start to understand that our mind is really, like many many or even most living processes on this planet is a living self-organizing complex system that, that takes in energy and information throughout life and just like any complex self-organizing system rearranges itself and adapts and learns from from the environment. and. These rearrangements of this complex system is what you can notice in yourself and in people when you can go through these quite abrupt changes in the way you perceive yourself, others, society and the planet. So it was really from this systems perspective, quite a theoretical perspective, that I came to understand the importance of this inner growth and development. And what we are trying to do in the IDGs is exactly that. They started as a project together with some Swedish corporations such as Spotify, Ericsson, Telia, Ikea are all supporting this project and these companies, their HR departments and the companies realize that in this rapidly changing world giving the possibility for support of personal development is now not something that is only something that you need to give to the top management in these companies. But really we are now in such a complex and rapidly moving technological and business world that everyone in the companies has to develop the inner capacities to be able to navigate this world and to take quick decisions and not be overwhelmed by this rapid development we have now. increase the capacity to hold complexity, and act within complexity, and to lead within complexity. So then we started a research program together, funded by these companies and and others, really with the top research leaders in the world in the field of adult developmental psychology, to look at what are those inner qualities and inner skills that are necessary for us as managers but also as citizens today to be able to navigate and function in this complex world and to make a long story short we we ended up with 21 different skills and um, capacities and the good news is that all these different skills and capacities are things that you can work with and that you can develop so for example one of them is of course I should say is empathy So, some of these skills are cognitive, others more emotional. So, empathy. It's absolutely clear from science today that we are not born with a certain amount of empathy. Now, it's absolutely clear that we can, throughout life, even as mature adults, we can both extend and deepen our empathic capacity. That's the good news. The bad news <laughs> or the challenge <laughs> is that if you have a coworker or a family member that you think would certainly need to deepen and extend their empathic ability you cannot just send him and her on a three or five day course <laughs> and then they <coughs> will return with a diploma <laughs> and say that no, now, now I got it. Now I got it. Now I'm certified. No.
0: Now I'm so, a pathetic, Mom.
1: Look. <laughs> no, no. And, and this is true for all these skills, l- l- like your ability to take more perspectives, um, your ability to stay uh, open and be able to read and to uh, make sense of a complex world, and all of these things. You can actually facilitate the development, but you can't teach it in a a traditional teaching set. So they all involve more what psychologists call a transformative learning that really touches the deeper layers of your uh, mind, perhaps, cognition, personality. So they are a bit personality transforming, and that's why they (laughs) call transformative uh, skills and transformative learning is the way you do it. And then the question is, how do you do it? Well, again, uh, leadership consultants have been doing this for many years, and that is what many retreat centers have been doing for many years. You have centers in the U.S., for example, like SLN, who has been experimenting with these things for more than 50 years. And uh, at our own retreat center at Eckfjellert Island, the Oak Island, we are doing retreats out in nature where you really have the possibility, together with a small group, through spending time in nature through authentic dialogues to go through a process that might not change you over a weekend, but if you are lucky, could start processes that over time will mature and, and show very important changes. Yeah, it plants the
0: seed of the shift, I think.
1: Yes. And once you're starting to be aware of this, you can continue this more on, in your everyday life. But you, you need to have a certain amount of, of awareness of what it is that is going on and that this is actually possible.
0: And I think in this day and age where people are so used to being so linear and so tidy, it isn't. And it takes time. Yeah. You, need, you integrate it. And that even means, you know, you go back and it's not a week later. It could be a month, it could be a year, it could be two years. Yes. I think it's very nuanced and very subtle. And so one of the things that I know you've said before is it's not enough for us to work for solutions. It's we need to adapt. And that's this whole notion of that, you know, developing your adaptability quotient because everything, business, to your point, our brains, everything else is, is alive and it's dynamic. Yeah. When you're talking with some of these corporations and some of these HR departments who are very more often than not, familiar with frameworks, like frameworks, and they like it to be nice and tidy. And how do you encourage them to open up and consider otherwise? Because I don't think it's such an easy, you know, as you said, one and done, you leave home with your certificate.
1: No, but I also think that for better or for worse, the whole world has changed a lot the last five years, the last three years. And... When I started uh, my foundation a bit more than 10 years ago now, when I was speaking about the need to look into inner development and specifically in relationship to societal change, that, that resonated with very few, uh, very, very few people. But then I've seen a dramatic change in the last three years. E- events like uh, Brexit and Trump s- certainly <laughs> shook us made us uh, understand the need to perhaps leave the a bit naive notion that we are on an autopilot to a better world. But also the more recent events of of the COVID pandemic and uh, the storming of the capital, it is quite clear now to, I would say, most intellectuals, let's use that word, it is now clear that we are in transformative times and that just tinkering and adjusting our present world system will probably not do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, are, we are probably in a deep transformation and I would say that the transformation that we are in is at least of the magnitude of the enlightenment oh, wow. two or three hundred years ago when we went from a medieval dogmatic society into modern industrial democracies and we also shifted our worldview from a religious dogmatic worldview into a scientific rationalistic worldview. I think we are in the beginning of an equally at least equally deep transition that will involve both a change in worldview, a change in institutions, and but that will also involve a personal change personal transformation, just like the modern individual is quite a different person compared to a peasant living in medieval Europe. The people that will be around in a hundred years or even a fifty years will have to have developed into uh, a new type of self, a self that can hold much more complexity, but that can also extend their empathy and and their imagination beyond their own family or corporation or or nation.
0: So do you think that next realm, will we see ourselves going back
1: or returning or
0: a transformative version of indigenous practices and that interconnectivity that the indigenous had with nature
1: Um, Absolutely. First of all I should say that again looking at the world from a systems thinking perspective, just like we we spoke about the mind earlier, our civilization is also a complex dynamic self-organizing system and when we come to these transition points, these phase shift points or bifurcation points Mm -hmm. where the system cannot just continue adapting to uh, the context in a linear way. We come to a point that physicists call a bifurcation point. Mm -hmm. And at that point, and this is true for all systems, it's either a question of breaking through or breaking down. Mm. So you can break through to a new level of complexity, which might also be a more elegant way of organizing. Complex does not mean that that it will appear more complicated, perhaps even rather the opposite. It it can appear more simple and and elegant, even though it is more complex. But equally or even more often, uh, these systems break down and you will see a collapse of the existing world order. And that collapse could then, of course, be deeper or less deep. But if we are looking at the, the possibility of a breakthrough, then, of course, you can say, how can you support such a breakthrough? Right. And, and one way to one way to do it is to increase the capacities of all us humans, the components of the system, to be able to relate to each other in deeper uh, ways. Yeah. And there again, we are back at the inner development goals, the IDGs. If If we can help ourselves and a lot of people to develop these capacities to relate on a deeper level, then we will increase the odds for a breakthrough rather than a breakdown. But it's also important, just as you say, that we might also need to change our worldview again, just as we've done many times. And You mentioned the indigenous way of looking at the world. We had the religious pre-modern way. We had the modern way. And now we have the postmodern critique of the modernistic <laughs> way of, of seeing the world. So some thinkers are talking about that we need to now move from modernity via postmodernity into a meta-modern way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. And what that is like, nobody knows, but one can start to see some contours around this mm-hmm. and being aware of The fact that most things are developmental processes, self-organizing processes, is part of that. Part of it is is also being aware that there is an evolution going on. It's an evolution, biological evolution, societal evolution, but also an evolution there are individual consciousness. But then perhaps the simplest way to understand what a metamodern worldview could look like is to say that as this worldview is aware of the evolution, the worldview can look back at previous worldviews and understand that actually each of these worldviews had some very good aspects and were functional in various mm-hmm. respects through the ages. So it isn't that that the pre-modern or religious worldview was completely wrong. Right. I mean, that was a big step forward when those big religions were, were created during the Axial Age, as some people call it, 2,500-3,000 years ago. Because that made it possible for the first time for us to live in larger cities or even civilizations. Mm-hmm. And the same, even though I agree with very much of the postmodern critique of modernity, m- modernity and the Enlightenment way of seeing the world gave us um, Penicillin gave us uh, mm-hmm. human rights, gave us democracy, and that could have been what we needed then. Nowadays, in the cultural war, some people lament the postmodern uh, thinking and blames most of ills that we have today in the world on this value relativistic uh, postmodern way of thinking. But it is a valid critique, and you should also. Uh, really uh, take stock of the insights in the postmodern philosophy. And if you also realize that the indigenous worldviews, because of course there are and were even more of those, okay. have characteristics just as you said, for example understanding that we humans are an integral part of of nature. We are not above the ecosystem. We are part in the ecosystem. And also the the need to Really have some sort of social glue that is holding us together and understanding that we perhaps are not these utility maximizing individuals that can create our own happiness, but that we are very, very much dependent for our individual happiness on, on the group that we are living in and on the planet that we are living on. Right. Uh, so if, if you take the best insights of all these different worldviews, and avoid the shadow sides that all worldviews have. Then you might get some sort of a taste of what a shift in worldview we need. And, and that new worldview, again, you, you might call it uh, meta-modern. Some call it post-postmodern. Other give it other names, but uh, more and more thinkers are uh, becoming uh, aware of the fact that, yes, we need a new uh, way of looking at the world and we need a new narrative.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, because the externalities, right, and the context in which we find ourselves living, it's every system, financial, education, healthcare, the list goes on, is showing weakness, right, and is, yeah. is crumbling. And that's a good thing, really, because that's how we evolve and we move forward, which is always why I think it's fascinating that people are so afraid. If you say things are going to change, people get very scared. But if you use yes. the word evolution, that's very different. There's a whole okay, exciting, kind of curious, open um, potential,
1: I think, that people yes. see
0: when they hear that. Yes.
1: But, but we shouldn't fool ourselves uh, when we say ev- evolution to think that this will be something that is evolving smoothly. We are entering into a period of chaos so, it is some sort of transformation, and you might that even I call think it that... That, I think, is an accurate that. word. That's better than evolution, to me, to what's really yeah. going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there will be uncertainty. That's also why, in, in times of transformation, it, it is even more important that we help ourselves and each other to have the inner capacity to hold uncertainty. Because uh, as humans, we tend to be very dependent on external sources for guidance and value and, and all exactly. of this. And, and when we get uncertain, that tendency to look for an authoritarian leader or a, at least some sort of outside stability, it could be a dogmatic religion, it could be an authoritarian <laughs> leader, becomes even more tempting. So then helping us all develop the inner capacities to connect with our inner source of value, that will make it possible for us to navigate through this chaos without having to turn to authoritarian uh, sources of power. So what role does technology
0: play? in any of all this, right? Friend or foe. I can see both sides of that point. It is one of these situations in the world where there are some who are so fearful of technology and then there are others, obviously, who
1: who broadly embrace it. You know, how do we balance that? Yeah, friend or foe. And and of course, as always, uh, it is both. Going back to penicillin or COVID vaccine. I mean, technology has given us that. Um, electricity, nutrition. Technology has doubled the average lifespan uh, all over the world. <coughs> and of course technology w- will continue to give us a potential to, to achieve things in 20 or 30 years that we could not even dream of today. That's the positive side. The negative side I- is of course that if we do not pay attention to the fact that technology is not on autopilot, but the technology uh, is is just a tool for human to use then the question becomes uh, how do we use technology right and how can we as a collective make sure that technology is used mainly for the benefit of humanity the benefit of the individuals when today our major instrument for coordinating our collective action on this planet is the market. Yeah. And again, I've been working in the market for almost all of my active career years. And I know the strength of the market and the market is super strong and good and you could... Just as we said that uh, technology has given us a lot of beautiful things, so the market has given us a lot of mm-hmm. beautiful things. I mean, the market has translated technology I- into refrigerators and trains and transportation and, right. and and all of that. But you can't say that the invisible hand of the market is always taking care of uh, the common good. And... It's quite easy for the uh, invisible hand to take care of the common good when it comes to producing consumer products like refrigerators or, or cars. But when you come to the more collective products, such as making sure that we have trust in the society, that we have fair and accurate information and things like that, mm-hmm. it, it's becoming more and more clear. That through the inherent monopolistic character that develops very quickly in the information society. Phenomena like uh, Facebook and and Google again wonderful instruments for us to be able to find information and to connect with our friends but if technology is mostly not Put into the service of human well-being, but rather put in the service of corporate profits, then you will, you will have problems. So again, it's not again either or. It is how do we find a balance? And how do we find a balance when the technology is moving so fast that the legislators who we elect for the specific purpose of taking care of the good of the whole, yeah. do not really understand what's uh, going on at the moment. That makes me a little bit worried because in that respect, that kind of technology is driving sort of towards the breakdown of, of society at the moment rather than breakthrough. And, and I cannot really see the market forces making that shift. Again, not because the market forces are evil, but that the market forces are not. And this is something that you learn even at the first course in economics at university, economics 101, these kind of collective goods, Mm -hmm. uh, like a healthy environment or like trust in society and things like that. N- new economist uh, uh believes that the market can deliver on on those aspects. there we need to have political decisions to complement the market and today right. we 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 don't have that so i'm going to do a
0: slight shift and i want to build upon that with regards to protus. you work a lot with youth. How does all this apply when you place youth and young leaders on top of this? You know, so many people talk a lot about when we're talking about the brain and how it works and how they see things and digital natives and such. What are the differences that you see when you're working with the, the younger set versus the, you know, sort of more classic corporate?
1: Absolutely. And and, and I must say that, that working with uh, younger people, whether that is uh, Uh, adolescents or if it's uh, younger adults between, Mm -hmm. say, 25 or or 35, that gives me a lot of hope because uh, they seem to be getting uh, things naturally that uh, perhaps those that are uh, a little bit older and uh, today holding on to the main power uh, in society, that's mostly people over over 40 today Mm -hmm. of of course and that gives me hope and that could indicate that it might not be so much new things that we need to learn it might be more about de-learning and when I grew up especially growing up in the 60s and the 70s in Scandinavia the societal system was really functioning. It was providing value to everyone, and we had not yet noticed the detrimental effects on society. So I grew up in in a world where I didn't have any immediate incentives to question the society I I grew up in. And that, of course, forms you. and, And if you are formed like that, you're socialized into this world, then that mind sticks with you. and. You, you can completely change your world view and, and your attitudes in the middle of life, but it is difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I see today with these younger people is that they have grown up in a, in a world where they realize that the present systems Whether it's the market, or the present implementation of democracy, or the way we're handling the environment and and a lot of these things. They are not functioning and that makes them very very much more open to alternative ways of organising society. And I must say that an eye-opening event for me was when I, together with my then 21-year-old son, went to Burning Man in Nevada (laughs) five five years ago. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wanted to go there was that I spoke to many of these people around 25, 30, who who said that coming back from the Burning Man festival, it was completely impossible for them to look at our society today with the same naive eyes and believing that this is how the world must be Mm -hmm. because there, there, there in the desert we spent a week building a completely alternative society and then living in that society for a week and to see that that was actually functioning. And that was functioning even better in many ways than our present society. And of course, one should remember that this was just a week and lots of resources and money was put into that and and everything. So, of course, you can't use this as a prototype for a society. But still, you you had an embodied experience of the possibility of living in a completely different collective imaginary with different values and different possibilities to relate. To other people and, and to your environment and the fact that a lot of young people today are getting those kinds of experiences and a little bit in that way waking up from the matrix realizing that this world that we have around us, this collective imaginary, is actually just a collective fantasy. That pre- presidents, nation-states, even money isn't natural things. They, they are human inventions That we've chosen to believe in and we could choose to believe in a different world. Yeah, exactly. You choose what's real. Yeah, you choose what's real. But it's one more level deeper than just me choosing what is real. In our modern society today, it could appear to me at least that Mm -hmm. to survive, I need air to breathe, I need oxygen, and I need money they appear equally important. And they are, for me, as an individual. Even if I realize that money is just a collective fantasy that we all chosen to believe in. When I'm standing at the supermarket, at the cashier, then it doesn't help me at all to tell the cashier that money is just a social construct and we don't right, need to exactly. believe in that. No, no. <laughs> the, the police will come. Or, or, or e- e- even worse, uh, as Foucault pointed out, that these... S- social fantasies are not just supported by the law uh, enforcement, but even systems like the healthcare system. So I might mm-hmm. be pronounced insane even and taken to the hospital instead <laughs> if I really, if I really insist on, on, on this. True. So, so as an individual, money and oxygen meets me a- as something that is very, very tangible. But of course, the difference is, That even if all humans in the world came together and decided that we don't want to be dependent on oxygen or air any longer, we couldn't do anything about it. But if we came together, perhaps just um, in one nation state, and said that we don't want to be dependent on money any longer, we want to find a different way to allocate our goods and resources, money could be gone tomorrow. So there is something very different, but we need to have the collective decision to get rid of money. Just like we decided many years in Sweden to stop driving on the left-hand side and do it on the right-hand side. I couldn't decide that as an individual. We needed to do it all at once. And that is what makes it possible. A final thing on that is that the sad thing is Sometimes it even seems like we are mixing these two worlds up. Like, we sometimes believe that clean air and the planetary boundaries are things that are up for negotiations, whereas the market forces we just need to obey, when, of course, it's the opposite. Absolutely. For me, my experience
0: with the younger set is that I think they have a greater ability for speaking the truth as ugly as it may be just the reality and then staying with it and then following through and saying, okay, it is what it is. I it's awful. And what are we going to do? So in that sense, to me, it's almost as though they're better at responding than reacting and kind of doing what you had talked about a little bit earlier about sort of, holding it outside detached i just keep thinking of detachment so that you have the space because if you
1: respond i mean it's easy to criticize but 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 that is not enough we need to imagine new realities i mean if we are really going through a transformation this is this has to be imaginative and also when you are reactive it's easy to then still stick in the old system but tempering with the system you need to be truly innovative and think about new things. But you also have to realize that as in such a transformation we will have emergent properties. So that means that if this transformation is a deep transformation it is not possible to foresee or plan the outcome of this transformation because it will have emergent properties. We will never be able to manage the transition. But still, I think that we can support and facilitate and increase the odds for a breakthrough uh, rather than uh, a breakdown. And what we need to do is, and I think that's where Catapult comes in, because Catapult is about imagination. It's about experimenting. It's about trying a lot of things. So what we need to do right now is we need to try a lot of things. We don't know what is going to work, but we need to experiment. And we need to experiment with technology, but also with, with uh sociology and, yes. with psych- and with psychology. So how can we organize ourselves in better ways? Can we do self-organizing organizations? Do we need to have a corporation, or could we invent new ways of, of doing business mm-hmm. and organizing? And on the psychological side, how can we help each other to grow internally so that we can become even better at imagining and transforming into a new future?
0: You know, I've always felt that this next 20 to 25 years, there's going to be the artists formerly known as soft sciences, like sociology and anthropology and psychology that everybody used to sort of when you were in university and majoring in that people would say, what are you going to do about that? That's kind of a joke. Oh, yeah. I believe that those will actually <laughs> really become incredibly and much more important uh, Absolutely. As, you were saying, as we look back at, you know, Past, Absolutely, right, and such an integrative piece, especially with the inner develop There's no getting
1: away. That's the difference. Yeah, I believe. No, these the sciences will be very important, and it's also very important to remember that the way that they are taught at university today, the focus is on the part. That was very helpful why we were still moving in an incremental, along an incremental Mm -hmm. path. In this transition, depending on how deep it will be, we will have to go deeper into these subjects. So when it comes to psychology, deep psychology is right now becoming more and more popular. Mm -hmm. Thinkers Mm -hmm. like Jung, for example, that very few people read during the last 30 years becomes important, looking really deep into our consciousness into archetypes and to our collective Mm -hmm. consciousness. The same for sociology, deep sociology, not just measuring these statistical things we do at university, but looking deep into society, into what some people call the collective imaginary, the unconscious Mm -hmm. part of society. And the same in history. Of course, Yuval Harari and, and other authors are very popular because they look into the deep history, not just the last 100 or 200 or 500 years, but the history of thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, millions of years, because that's sort of the perspective you need to have if you can see how these deeper civilizational changes happen and how you could support them possibly.
0: Right. And the thing I think about, with you know, with responding versus reacting, too, is this is all going to require everything we've been talking about. It's going to require true innovation and obviously yeah. confidence moving forward without knowing the outcome. And for me, when I when I think of a reaction, one is usually coming from a place of defense and yeah. fear. Yes. And that is the quickest thing to shut down. As you've been speaking about that broader based world of possibility, kind of mm-hmm. that what if potential and stopping for a second, stopping for a beat, taking
1: a breath and looking at things from a completely different perspective. And that is what I found by participating in, in catapult events or Burning Man events or, or other of these more innovative uh, events are, are so, so valuable, so valuable.
0: Well, thank you, and we're so excited. Listen, I want to ask two last questions. One is, what what do you think is a reality today that in five years
1: is not going to be? A shallow answer on on that question would be uh, (laughs) Bitcoin and um, cryptocurrency. Interesting. I believe that distributed ledger technology could transform both the market and uh, governance systems. So on that level I see a huge potential in that but these first attempts of using this and creating uh, bitcoins and, and other things I think those aspects will be uh, if not gone they will not dominate the discussion of that technology. That technology has so much more deep potential than the instantiations today. So that is the shallow answer. A deeper answer would be I hope that in five years we will no longer take our socially constructed world for given in our political discourse. I think in five years I hope that we've moved beyond that and that we can s- clearly see and talk about the role we humans play in the world we create that. Now, I gave you the title of my, of, of my latest book as well, The World oh, We Create. So I had to plug that.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. We'll be sure to put it in the t- and then show notes too. Um, what are, in your mind, three of the most
1: important topics and things that people should be thinking about? The first is, uh, again going back to technology. Be aware of the fact that technology is changing the world more rapidly than we think. Mm -hmm. We're talking about exponential technology. We humans, our mind is not really made to understand exponential growth. Technology is transforming uh, the world and we haven't even yet started talking about the technological changes that we already know of. Technological inventions that have already been done, uh, that are in the laboratories of these huge international corporations that we know will be rolled out. And then, of course, what technological inventions will be available to us in just five years is just mind-boggling. So that's the first thing. Take technology serious. Um, Mm -hmm. Second uh, would be to talk about uh, the IDGs. And to say that in order for us just to be able to, as individuals, navigate this world and and keep sane, we need to work on ourselves and develop uh, capacities for sense-making and perspective-taking and and empathy and things like that. So uh, the the rapid outside change of the world leads to a need for us to uh, develop our ability to respond to that cognitive and emotionally. And Then the last thing would just be stay open and be open for uh, emergence and um, be prepared to uh, let go because for something new to be able to be born uh, we need to dare to let go and to find the, the trust and direction to let go. And we will not find that in an outside authority. We will not find that even in technology. We can only find that inside ourselves. So well said. That last piece is a terrific
0: rebel yell, as we say, and a terrific call to action, I think. Thomas Bjorkman, thank you so much. What a robust, rich, deep, vast conversation. And I I just want to thank you so much for everything that you're doing across every front. I feel so humbled and honored that you're part of the the Catapult community, and that you're so generous uh, with your heart, with your mind, with your written word. So just thank you so much for continuing to push all of us to ask ourselves to go deeper and uh, really focus on what's inside.
1: Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me on this uh, program. Looking forward to seeing you at the next uh, Catapult. Well
0: said, May 9th through 13th. Mark your calendars. This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with Bina Aminat, the Global Director of Global AI Institute, and leader of AI and Ethics at Deloitte about how AI can be harnessed for good. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 18th through the 21st, 2022.